good evening. It is good to be together. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful to have the opportunity to come as we just have sung to glorify God and to worship God. And tonight we want to continue uh, where we started this morning, the idea of to see God and to see the great works, the wonders, the marvelous works, the marvels that God has done. And in that, especially tonight, we want to see how God introduces himself in the scriptures to us in the very beginning of the Bible. But to do that, let me quickly review just a couple of things with you. First, this word marvel or sometimes translated wonders or wonderful works or uh, and things such as that. Uh, look on this next slide and, and notice in the Hebrew here, the pala is perhaps to separate to, or to separate, to distinguish. It deals with things that are great, even sometimes things that are difficult. In other words, is it difficult for you to do, but God can do it is, is how that would be used toward God. Wonderful to accomplish, marvelous, miracles, perform, uh, to separate to separate, which is that idea of to distinguish, to make singular, uh, to separate. Again, the idea there, wonderful, wondrous. And as we think about this word, Marvel. We mentioned this morning that CNN back in 1990s, 99, I believe it was, that uh, they came up with a list that they called the seven wonders of nature. And in that this morning, we mentioned their list and, and it's still respected even today. And it's the Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, the harbor of Rio de Janeiro, Mount Everest, Northern Lights, Parasutin Volcano, and the Victoria Falls. Now in each of these, we mentioned that they are distinguished from others like them. In other words, Everest is distinguished. It's set apart from all the other mountains because no other mountain reaches quite as high as it does. Or the Grand Canyon is distinguished from the other canyons because none is quite so deep, so wide, and so long. You see the point. The idea is they're called wonders because they are distinguished. Now, we didn't mention this this morning, but I wanted to begin with this again tonight just to note what probably to all of us here is obvious, but let's go ahead and say it. You know what's amazing is these wonders that stand apart they too are part of the marvelous works of God. Every one of them were created by God. And probably most of us here, we appreciate even things that do not just completely stand alone like a newborn baby or to sit around the table and laugh or the hugs after a baptism. We could go on and on of many marvelous works that God has created and allows us to participate in in this earth. But tonight I'd like for you to think about just a few passages as we jump in to think about God of creation 
and the marvelous works that he has created. Psalmist speaks many times about the wondrous works of God. And here in Psalm 40 and 4, Psalm 40 and 4, he says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Now, I'd like for you to notice in the first part of this verse, he's going to mention three things. And so, one, I'd ask you this. Let's pretend right here is the area of everyone that's going to live their life in the Lord, and they're going to make the Lord their trust. They trust God. Remember this morning we talked about the fact who would trust God? It'd have to be people that have seen the wonders of God. And in that, they would be willing to keep his commandments. But the first thing they have to do is be willing to trust him. But what about the people that don't trust him? God, God's not bigger than me. God's thoughts are not better than my thoughts. God's ways are not better than my ways. And someone would say, you know, you're pretty proud. Well, see, that's that very next thing. Blessed the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside the lies. You see, there's kind of an option here. We can trust in God or we can think God's not all that much. Now, remember the rule of thumb. Anytime you exalt God, you humble yourself. That's a beautiful position to be in. Anytime we exalt ourself, we bring God down in our mind. And so here is what he lays out. Let's, let's stand and trust God. Let's not run over here to the proud and believe the lies of the proud. Well, what would cause us to trust God? Let's read the rest. Look at verse five. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. For if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Who would trust in God? The ones that know his wonderful works and the ones that know that his wonderful works are so many, you could not count all of his wonderful works. This year, let me tell you something. And, and you know, we have, and it's really good. I'm not complaining about this. It's really good. We have some really important special days where, where because of a, a certain thing that's happening in the life of our nation or the life of us as a church family, we, we try to fit in certain topics. And that's a really good thing. I want to lay out for you an outline that if we did not have any interruptions of four Sunday months, here's what I'd like to try to do each month. Now, with interruptions, we won't be able to accomplish this exactly. But on this next slide, notice with me, I would like for us to spend one Sunday a month thinking about what God has done out of the Old Testament. Then I would like for us the next week to talk about what God has done in the New Testament. And generally, that's going to be a study of God through Christ Jesus, God on earth. Remember John 1 and 14, that God came and he dwelt among us. He took upon flesh and dwelt among us. And so let's study about, like say for example, this month, we're talking about creation. If there were no special days involved in this month, what we would do is we would spend tonight talking about God as creator and look in the Old Testament. But then next week we would come around and study about Jesus Christ as creator. Remember that's why John, the first chapter begins. It's about Jesus Christ being the creator. But then, let's bring it to present tense. What is God still doing? Is God still creating? Yes. You remember that as Christians, it is the Lord that creates us anew, Ephesians 2 and 10. It is God that makes us a new creation. The church is about helping others become that new creation. 
So the church always is to continue the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth and he started his work, but the church continues his work. Now, as I thought about this, I mentioned to you some things this morning that I evaluated in my preaching. And, um, and, and one of the things that I was convicted upon as I evaluated it is that if eternity and the promises that are yet to come are so important, why don't I study more about them? Why don't I preach more about them? And so what if the fourth Sunday of the month, we spent some time looking at what is to come, past, present, future. And under the study of creation, what would be in the future? Well, if I read my Bible correctly, what did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house for many mansions, not so. I would have told you I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. You see, God hasn't stopped preparing things. God hasn't stopped creating, if you will, although that word prepare there doesn't exactly mean creation, but it's the idea that, that God is, is he's, he, Jesus is preparing and he promised he's going to come back one day and he promised he's going to take those that are his and we are going to have the opportunity to live with him. Isn't that a neat way to think about topics throughout the scripture? Who is this God creator in the Old Testament? Who is this God creator, Jesus, that came to this earth? What is he still creating today through the life of the church? What is he creating in the future that these promises will come true? Those are some things that we'll try to do over the next 12 months with various principles. I'd like to show you this next slide. And some of you are going to be like, this guy just will not get away from this. I won't. Because if you'll notice, the pyramid of life, the idea of there are three layers to this pyramid, and it begins with the foundation. If we're doing it right, it begins with the foundation, and each layer comes out of the previous layer. So in our life, the very core of who we are is what we believe. The core of an atheist is that they believe there is no God. The core of a Christian is that we believe that there is a God and that God came to earth and took on flesh and that he died, he's resurrected, and he's coming again. That is the core. That's what we believe. Now, I say that's what we believe. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I believe it, but their life doesn't reflect it. In this illustration, we're talking about people that believe it and their life reflects it. That's their belief in God. What comes out of that kind of belief in God? Their values and convictions. What you and I that are true believers in God and Christ is the son of God, what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong is based upon our God. Now you'll notice the top layer of the pyramids, that little dotted line. And remember above that dotted lines are things that others can see with their visual eyes about our life. Below it are things that can't be seen. But it is out of the values and convictions that comes our actions, our behavior, our conduct. I know I've said this, but I just want to emphasize it. Many times as parents, what do we work on? If we're not careful, what we work on and what we talk about probably 95% of the time is that top layer of the pyramid. I wish I would have known this when my children were young. I don't know how much I would have done differently, but I know this. I would have approached every day with the life of my children with this in mind. 
Yes, we need to talk with our children about how to act. But what is much more important is that we also spend extended times and take advantage of every opportunity we can to do what? Help them know God. They must learn God because it is out of their knowledge of God that their convictions will be shaped and it is out of their convictions that their behavior will come. And it does no good to work only on behavior if it does not have a root system, if it doesn't have a foundation on which to stand. Now, I emphasized and illustrated that just then in parenting, but you know, everything I just said is true about every adult here. We can, New Year's resolutions, I tell you what, Ever since I learned this pyramid about two years ago, it has taken the wind out of my sails on New Year's resolutions. I hadn't even mentioned them today, have I? They hadn't even gone through my mind this year because they are, I don't guess I can say hogwash, can I? They are, they are no good. A New Year's resolution that is not attached to your foundation is just waiting for February to come and it's gone. But when you have a belief system that's connected to those or has produced those values, then you can make changes in your life. So if there are things that you're thinking right now, I've made this New Year's resolution. If you really want it to work, you better figure out this week how that New Year's resolution fits fits into your belief system. And if you can fit it into your belief system, It will work if you allow that belief system to form your convictions that forms your behavior. So on this next slide, just really quickly, uh, I just filled in a a few things that pertain to what we talked about today. And and that is, you know, what do you believe about God? That's going to form your convictions and all. And and notice I put the word marvel off there to the side because that's the idea of like, what do you believe about God? Have you seen the wonderful works of God? Because the more we see the powerful, the, the, the works that set God apart from us. Remember, God's not just a superhuman. God's almighty. And the more we recognize that and the more we marvel at God, the more we realize, wow, if he says it, I'm going to believe it and it's going to form my convictions. And then the top layer of the pyramid just kind of takes care of itself. Why are you so committed to doing right? Because I'm so committed to my belief in God. Do you know how awesome God is? All right, what about somebody that's not really committed? They don't really know how marvelous God is. Well, their behavior just comes and goes because it's not really connected to God. So now let's think about God as the creator as we start making our way eventually to Genesis 1. But I would like for us, as we think about this, I'd like for you to remember that Genesis 1, the book means beginning, the name of the book. It's the book of origins. And isn't it interesting that not only do we find out about our origin, but when we read chapter 1, we learn a whole lot also about God. And and just like a play needs a play writer, just like a masterpiece needs a skilled Uh, craftsmen, you and I, here we are, we exist, who created us? To better understand that and to understand it correctly would leave us marveling at God. Let's hear what some others said about the Genesis 1, Genesis 2 creation and that wrote by Holy Writ 
Let's see what they said about it. And then we'll go back and spend just a little bit of time in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm 33 and in verse 6, 7, and 8. And this was the scripture reading that was read this morning. But notice it again. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, how were they made? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. Now, when you see that phrase, I want you to notice order. He took what was chaos, water that was without form and void. And he says, let me bring some order to this. But he didn't, he didn't have to do something with tools. He did it with his voice. God created effortlessly and brought order to his creation. Let's continue reading. Still more order. He lays up the deep in the storehouses. Now, what should our response be to this? Now, this is what the psalmist said. He, he told us what he just saw. Now, he's verbally seeing this. We're seeing it verbally. But notice what his result is. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. He says, look how God did this. Now let's stand in awe of him. Do you know that marvelous creator? Do you stand in awe of that marvelous creator? Because if so, that's a very, very, very important fundamental part of your foundation so that your convictions that come out of that will not be based upon you, but they'll be based upon the creator. And out of that will become a life of Christianity. Elihu was speaking to Job. And you know, sometimes his friends didn't tell him the truth. So when you read Job, you kind of, you have to be real careful about the context because sometimes his friends were telling him things that weren't so and you're reading it right there. I believe Elihu got these verses right when he was talking to Job. Look at Job 37 and two. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. And I think what Elihu is doing here is he's using the emphasis of his word is powerful. That's why he says the thunder of his voice. In other words, his, his voice is so powerful in all this creation. Notice how he says in verse three, he sends it forth unto the whole heaven, the, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. Let, let that sink in. God's voice. What is it to you? Elihu says, it's a marvel to me. His voice is a wonderful work to me. Is that the way you hear God's word? Is that the way you understand God's word? Is that a part of your foundation? That's the God I believe in. His voice is marvelous. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. Now again, he doesn't use the word marvelous there, but that's what he means. He says it is beyond us. We do things like this. He does things so high we can't even imagine what they are. How does he do it? Just with his voice. His voice is marvelous. Look at 14. Listen to this. Oh, Job, stand still and consider, there's our word, consider the wonders, the wondrous works of God. 
Why do you want me to consider those? He says, look what his voice has done. So God is the creator. And God creates with his voice, with his words. And God takes out of chaos and he brings in to order. And over and over we are told that it ought to cause us to marvel. Now I'd like for you to pause with me just a moment and Moses being the writer of Genesis. Have you ever thought about when he might have written that? Think maybe he, he might have written it, say, when he was out in the wilderness. He had a lot of years there out in the wilderness. But think about, as you just ponder that, when he wrote it, now think about this. Where did he grow up? Remember his first 40 years of his life? Pretty much all of those years were in an Egyptian palace. He would have been trained the ways of the Egyptian. What do you think Moses would have been taught about creation. Think about the Egyptian mythology that he would have been taught about creation. Now, before we dive into this, think also he was leading the children of Israel. Where did those people and their descendants spend the last 400 years? They spent 400 years in Israel. What do you think they would have been influenced with? Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't have also been taught about God, but they would have been around the influence of paganism, of, of Egyptian mythology. And so it's interesting to think that sometimes we only think about passages through a modern mindset. Oh, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, it was written to, to help uh, reinforce some of the scientific ways of creation. Well, there's no reason for science and the word of God to go up in opposition to each other. I know it does sometimes what some teach in science, but it's no reason. It, it shouldn't have to. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that, that that's not important. I'm just saying to you, I doubt seriously when Moses sat down and wrote Genesis 1 and 2, that he was thinking, hmm, how can we write this to address evolution? Now, God in his infinite wisdom inspiring this probably wrote some stuff through Moses to do that. But I'm just saying to you, probably as much as anything in Moses' mind, as a, just a man, his mind would have been, whoa, I know all of this mythology I've been taught all my life. And I know that that's not where all of us came from. And he's writing to people that's going to be reading it that they need to know that it wasn't some kind of pagan warfare that took place, that creation sprung up out of that. Let me give you just a few very, very brief examples. Amon Ray is a, an Egyptian mythological god that really over time became the combination of two gods and is considered the god of creation, at least in some time periods of Egyptian mythology. And what's interesting is you say, well, where did this god come from? Well, this god just came right up out of the water. That's the origin of this god. Now that is within itself is really strange. And there's a lot of other strange things about this God. But we'll go on from there because some wouldn't be appropriate to repeat. All right. Now, Pataha is another God that later on became like a rival Egyptian lore 
to this previous story because this God is also known as the God of creation. Now what's interesting about this God being known as the God of creation is a part of his story is that he created, see if you hear a slight resemblance to Genesis 1. He created through the heart and the tongue as he commanded. And someone says, that does sound like Genesis 1. God commanded and things were created. But you see, the difference was his commands was to work magical spells to call upon other powers, other gods to help him in this creation. Whereas the almighty God did not have to call on anyone else to help in creation. Now, another very unusual story is the next slide that we see. Uh, let's back up a slide, back up. I may have them out of order, I'm sorry. I had a lot of printer problems before we came in here. I thought I was going to pull my hair out. Uh, there is, it looks like a, a being with wings. I don't know if you can find, yeah, that one. All right. Uh, Tiamat was a goddess of salt water. And Marduk was a god of rain and storms. Now, I really want you to just think about how Genesis reads so different from what I'm about to explain to you. Marduk was a younger God and it reminds you so much of, of you know, things that would happen around us. He made a lot of noise and he played with the wind and with dust storms and it aggravated Tiamat. And so they got in a big fight. And so Marduk took a spear and he stabbed her, the goddess. He stabbed her in the heart, killing her. And then through the heart, he popped her in two like a shellfish. And he took the top part of her, he took half of her and put up as a ceiling in the sky. And he took the other half of her and he placed her in the water and created the land. And that's where creation came from. And I want you for just a moment, because a lot of the mythological stories come out of violence. I want you to picture in your mind scenes of war. We have a few. Just, just picture scenes of war. What kind of beautiful creations come out of war? What kind of order comes out of violence? And yet that's where some of these mythological creation stories say, that's where this beautiful earth that we have, the earth that has seasons and, and the earth that has, has water to, to evaporate and then cycle back down into rain. This earth that, that a tree produces a seed and, and falls back into the ground and produces a, seed, a tree after its kind. Yeah, all of this just came from warfare. It was the result of violence. No, that's why when we read in Genesis 1 and we read of God, notice the, the fourth word 
In the beginning, God, Elohim. In the beginning, God. That word is just a, a um, I hate to use the word generic, but it's, it's somewhat a generic word for God. But what he's doing is 35 times in 34 verses in Genesis 1, he's going to emphasize, let me tell you about the God who is king of all gods. He is creator of all people. And he speaks. And, and if you want to just think about this, if you want to go back and read just Genesis 1 tonight and read it and think about how effortlessly he creates. It's not some kind of huge, violent ordeal. And think about the order that he brings. For, for example, when we read in Genesis 2, notice the earth had chaos at the beginning. It was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. That's a chaotic thing, but, but notice the Spirit of God was hovering the face of the waters, and God what? God said, let there be light. And what came out of that? Look in verse four. God divided the light from the darkness. You see what he's doing? He's taking this, this void and, and, and this chaos and God is going to speak order to it. So the first thing he does is he speaks light and he divides the light and the darkness. And we look in verse six. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And what did he do? He divided the waters from the waters. Remember, we already, already read a passage tonight where that was one of the marvels of God, was that God can, can move things around and, and he can create order. If you want to look down at verse 9, what did he do? He took the, the waters in verse 9 and he gathered them together in one place. So what did that allow happen? Dry land. You see, he's bringing order to it, when, to creation. When we skip down to verse 14, when God said, let there be lights in the firmament and he, he created the sun and the moon and the stars, what did it do in 14? It divided the day from the night. When we skip down in verse 20, God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly. And, and he created the heavens for them to fly in. But then in 21, where he created the fish, he gave them the waters to swim in. You see the order here of what he did. And even if you want to take that a little bit further, uh, he mentions in 24, the beast that he created, they each produce after their kind. Again, referring to the order. And if you want to look at 26, where did mankind come from? He said, God said, let us make man how? In our own image, according to our likeness, and let them have what? Dominion over the fish of the sea. So when we think about our place is under God, but in the order that he made, not only are we under God, but we're over the earth. There's order, there's structure, and over and over, as we've already mentioned, God is mentioned over and over. Let me tell you about this creator. But then I want to show you this, and we've got to start wrapping it up, I know. But look in, in Genesis, the second chapter. Look what he says in verse 4. You're going to see something that you haven't read yet in the Bible. In Genesis 2 and 4, he says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that, who? The Lord God made the heaven and the earth. Yahweh. All in chapter one, when he was telling the creation story for the first time, he used the generic name for God. But then when he said, 
Now I want to tell you more about creation and I want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about man and woman and even mentions in 24 parents. And in that time in the record of creation, he then used the personal name for God. Let me tell you about this mighty creator, but let me tell you about this personal God who creates relationships. Do you and I realize that God as the creator, that he brings order into our lives? Now, if I lost you, I want to wake you back up before I close. I want to say that again. Do you realize that God, the creator, brings order into our lives? You take relationships where one or both of the two live without God creating their lives and there will be a lack of peace and a lack of order. You take in any relationship where both are allowing God to create their life, you will see a relationship of order, a relationship of peace. God is the creator. We should marvel at what he can do. But don't forget, he can continually create our life today if we let him. We can allow him to create order in our life. We can allow him to create order-filled relationships, at least what we bring to the table. Now, we can't live the other person's life. But as we're about to sing a song of encouragement, I want you also to remember that he created the opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. That's what's really amazing. The almighty God in heaven whose voice can rumble, he can speak things into existence, life into existence, a universe into existence, wants a relationship with you, a lovely, blessed relationship with you. And he wants it forever. That is a wondrous work. That's a marvel. He cares for us. So tonight is, we're about to sing this song of encouragement. Will you allow God, do we still have our slide? Let's skip down to that and let's close with John 17 and 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That's what Jesus was praying in John 17. It's eternal life. What is it? We've got to know God, and we've got to know Jesus that he sent. And so tonight, if you don't have eternal life, and you want to know God, you want to submit to him, why not make that decision tonight? Allow God to create you anew. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you're ready to be restored,